Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Then in chapter 2, um, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, how, how long after the resurrection is that? 50 days. They were all with one accord in one place. Now that eliminates all modern churches because they're not. we're not all in one accord and we're usually not all in one place. I'm just joking. All right. Why were they in one accord, do you think? They were all together in one room. Well, they thought they were all the same. Well, you could be all in the same room and not all of one accord. Look at Congress. All right. All of the same mind. Why? That's the way you want it. Oh, yeah. The Lord told them to stay there in one place, but why are they all of one accord in one? The, that, that explains the one place. The Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, all right? If you get a room full of people who are led by the Holy Spirit, what is true of them? They're going to get along together, right? Don't give me that one. <laughs> if if you got again, what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit brings peace. He brings fellowship. He brings community. He brings a oneness. It doesn't mean you all think alike. That's not no. what it means. One mind is that. But it means we're all of one mind. So so if you have two Christians that are fighting, what's true? At bare minimum. Not One or both of them are not walking in the spirit. That's right? right? So if you have two Christians that are fighting, they're in contention, that won't talk to each other, or are mad, what's true? One or both of them aren't walking in the spirit. George Bush and Alan Schaefer. What about them? He'd say they're one of He'd say they're one accord. He does everything I want him to do. No, I'm sorry. No, the, the, so there's no room for disunity at all. Well, understand what well understand what disunity means. Does disunity mean you all think alike? No. Theologically, we're all the same. But does does unity mean you all think alike? No, no, we can disagree. Unity means you all have the same what? Purpose and goal. It doesn't necessarily mean you all think the same way of getting there, but you all have the same purpose. You have the same mind. You have the same goal. All right. That does, and, and that's one of the things to understand. You know, there's some churches where the pastors, well, if you don't think like me, you're out of here. You know, because I'm I'm king. I run this place. You know, and and the whole I. You just brought something to mind. That's All right. Something. That's not the way. That's not the way it works. The pastor isn't king. All right. Um, if somebody tells you that, he's more like Diotrephes, who was mentioned in Third John. Um, it means that you have the same goal. We should all have the same goals. Mm-hmm. Now we may have different ways and different ideas of getting there. And, and we may have to discuss how we do this or that or other thing, but we all have the same goal. We're all working towards the same end. That's what unity is. 
Good night. So was so were they all were all the believers who were touched with the spirit? Were they unified? Yeah, they were unified, having the same How goal. Have such a major difference. How can the the Jerusalem? Why did the Jerusalem Council arise? I mean, that was a major. Well, because as as time goes on, what happens? Do you do you walk in the spirit one hundred percent of the time? Leaders disagree with leaders. Do leaders disagree with leaders? But when you do that, what should you do? Pray. You can debate it. You can discuss it. You can talk about it. But when the end comes, but even though you're debating a topic, what are you both interested in? What God's will is. I want God's will, whatever that is. Now, we'll debate. We'll talk. You know, we have a finance council here at church that I'm on. And we'll sit and we'll debate on what do we do here, do there, do this. And we'll talk. And, you know, we're pretty open with one another and things like that. But we all have the same ultimate goal. The same ultimate purpose. And we all work towards that goal. And, you know, there may be compromises. And that's where, you know, look, not every man on his own thing, but every man on the thing of others. You defer sometimes. But you all have the same focus, the same goal. These people in the upper room, they all had the same purpose. They were all waiting for the Holy Spirit. And listen, they had just been praying for 10 days, right? At least 10. Because Christ was ascended 40 days after the resurrection. Pentecost is 50, so there's a 10-day period in there. They're praying. They're seeking God's will. They were all on the same page. All right. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So this, this, this great sound from heaven, and it sounded like this wind. Now, who heard it? Everybody that was there. Everybody in the room, and who else? Who else? The feast. Pentecost was a feast. Not only did the 120 hear it, but a whole bunch of other people outside heard it, because what did that sound do? They came to find out what was going on. All right. That's what drew them together. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each one of them. The idea there is that it looked like a flame on them. All right? It's like, it's like there's a flame as a visible manifestation of the Spirit. And it said they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now we're going to blow the whole rest of the day on that verse. All right? We never will get through this, right? All right. Yeah, we will. We will. We will. All right. So, so, twenty thousand foot picture. What's happening here? The Holy Spirit came. He came how? Powerfully. You could hear it. The people in the room could see it. All right. And then there was a not only a visible manifestation, but there's another manifestation, which was what? Tongues. What is tongues? A language. A language. It's language. That is the most important concept. If you don't get anything else out of this class, get this. Tongues is a known language. It's not gook. All right. It's a known 
language. It also is useless unless there's somebody there to translate. And, and the word for translation, this is the, the word used to interpret tongues is hermeneutics, hermeneutics, interpretation. All right? Yeah. To interpret, to translate is really what it is. All right? And when you compare this usage throughout the New Testament, you find that the gift of tongues or the manifestation of tongues was known, speakable, understandable languages. It was not blather. All right? Um, it, it was not just noises. Like you get the holy bark and the holy laugh and all of that other kind of stuff. It was not that. All right? It, it was not. Because the word used, glossé, is language. In fact, they should have translated it language. It's other languages. Okay? Um, so they didn't speak in one language. They spoke in several languages and they all understood it at the same time. Not all of them may have understood what the other person was saying, but there was somebody there that did understand it. And how do we know that? Because later on, the crowd, the multitude that gathers together are saying, what, what are they saying? How can we hear them in our own language? All right. So what does that tell you about the tongues they were speaking? They could understand the language that was being taught. And and the, the problem with 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 ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the tongues today is that nobody knows what's being said. There's nobody there with the gift of, of interpreting it. And in fact, Paul prohibits if you look at first Corinthians 14, Paul prohibits tongues if there's no interpreter because the whole point that Paul's making is if if I got up to you right now and I gave you the rest of the lesson in Chinese would it do you any good nothing unless somebody interpreted it or if you knew Chinese what I wanted to say um, a couple of years ago personal experience I, I was speaking to a group about the different things and before I started, I didn't really know a lot of people. There were people there from another church. And there were about three guys. They wanted to pray before it started. And all of a sudden, I started hearing that. And I almost felt like I was in a demonic presence. Since you I were. Here. I mean, really. I mean, it really you probably were. I mean, I, was, I didn't even feel right. And that's the first time I ever experienced yeah. that for, you know, right there. Yeah, and it, was, I, it was almost frightening. Yeah, and I know there's there are probably some in the class that, that you know, really believe in the modern day gift of tongues and if you do you know all I'm challenging you to do is whatever you believe in it better square with this or you got something there's something wrong with it um, I remember a guy came in my Sunday school class one time and he went to a certain church on the north coast and his he got a he got a revelation from God I'm not he, I'm not making it up he said he got a revelation from God a vision that he was to come to this church and teach us how to speak in tongues and I told him, well, I didn't have the same vision that he did. Um, and I suggested, I suggested that we examine the, you know, what the Bible teaches on this. He didn't want to do that. He says, and I said, well, how do you know tongues is that? Well, I had this experience. I said, well, what does the Bible say about your experience? It doesn't matter. I had an experience. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. I don't care what the Bible says. I had an experience. I know it's valid and you know, if the Bible, the Bible has to line up with my experience. And here's the thing to understand. What validates your experience? The, the scripture. 
Pizza and beer will give you experiences. Dope will give you experiences. That doesn't mean they're valid experiences. And in fact, Peter, in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, you know what? I had the ultimate experience. I was on the mount. I saw the resurrected the, the glory, the resurrected glory of Jesus Christ. I heard a voice from heaven telling me to shut up and listen to him. That's what the voice basically said, right? He said, I, I heard it. He said, I had the experience of all, but you know what? That only benefited who? Himself. What's a better word of prophecy? What's a better thing than a vision? This. This is a better. Visions are subjective. So when someone say they have a vision and they want you to go along with their vision, then somebody else have to feel the vision too, or you no, you just don't go along with their vision just because they have a vision. I have a vision, and I come in and tell the class that this is what we should do, and it's going to be long term. When somebody else in here know about my vision too, or when somebody's heart be receptive or something like that? Well, even, even with the tongues, it would be equivalent to me. I know four languages and speaking Spanish, but no one knowing Spanish. And then if I said, Amanos, recibe Jesucristo en el corazón en esta noche. No one knowing that. I don't know what he said. Spanish. Now, he was edified, I wasn't. He would be edified, mm -hmm. and he would be able to translate it. And that's how, on the day of, that's how I always looked at tongues. Tongues is a known, valid language. Someone knew exactly what was being said. And that's why Paul you know, and, said that scripture. And that's what it says in 1 Corinthians 14. If you want to adhere to the belief that tongues are a valid sign gift for today, then they need to be done the way it says in 1 Corinthians 14. Let it be done by one, or at the most two. Let someone interpret because it doesn't do you any good if you don't know what the guy's saying. All right. And let it be done decently and in order. What do you see in the modern average Pentecostal church? Absolute total chaos. And by the way, Paul specifically says the women are not to speak in tongues. And they're the ones doing it. All right. So wherever you land on this, you've got to say either 1 Corinthians 14. First, so I don't want to hear any more out of you tonight. No, I'm just going. <laughs> no. Did the speaker who was speaking in tongues know what, he, what they were saying? I think they or knew what they knew what they were saying, but it wasn't, but it wasn't their language. It was not their. It would be like me not knowing Spanish, yeah. but speaking it fluently yeah. and him interpreting it. He would have to tell you what you said because he's Spanish. Yeah. Maybe he might speak German. Yeah. Whoever's German in here would understand German. Yeah. But but I would not have the knowledge of that before I spoke. Yeah, it's not like he went to language school. Right. And and that's the problem. If tongues was a valid sign gift, why language schools? Why do missionaries spend years learning languages and things like that? I mean, God could give them that. Now, admittedly, God can do what He wants to do, right? If He confounded the language of Babel, He can give you whatever language you want. All right. That's that's not limiting God. It's just saying whatever whatever manifestation of tongues or whatever that you, you have has to square with what the Bible says. When tongues are used here, it is not prayer language. It's not secret prayer language. It's not angel talk. 
It is a language that they could understand and interpret. There is no indication in the scripture. That's a good question. There is no indication. Right. Let's say this. Let's say you go home tonight and you spend 30 minutes in prayer using a prayer language and you have no idea what it is you just said. Is that helpful to you? Well, there's different references that Paul made about speaking mysteries. But what is the mystery he's talking about? Is he talking about... He's talking about the mystery of the church. It was it was something that was hidden, is, is it, now revealed. Is, 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 I don't, I don't, I've always wondered about that. Yeah, I, when, when, when Paul said he spoke the mysteries... The Apostle Paul said, I'm glad that I speak in tongues more than you all. And Paul knew many languages, by the way, what, just so you understand. Language? Language. But then he, he says he, he was speaking mystery. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about that. So let's explore that. How does that? Because a lot of people, I think, you, you, you see the yeah. The well, yeah. Let's let's talk, let's. And that's a good question. Let's let's explore that a minute. Where most of the time they get this idea of this prayer language is the Romans eight twenty six. Eight Romans eight twenty six. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit. We're the children of God. And then it says, the Spirit itself intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Mm -hmm. And they talk about, well, that's your private prayer language, angel talk, whatever. Well, look at, the, look at what he's saying. And number one, he says, it's groanings which can't be uttered. So by definition, whatever that is, is not something that's audible. Right? If it's a groaning which can't be uttered, then it's not a language. The second thing is, who's the Holy Spirit talking to there? It's inter-Trinitarian talk. It's the Spirit talking to the Father. Okay? Um, and we all groan, you know, we all groan, and we all, you know. It, it, the point there is that the Spirit, sometimes, Paul's saying, sometimes I don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit knows what I needs, need. And with the Spirit lets God know what I really need. All right. I don't know what it is. And sometimes, you know, I go to the father. I don't know. I've done this. I've done this with people. I say, you know, so and so. Lord, I have no idea how to pray for that. I, that's a mess. I have no I don't even have a suggestion as to what to do there. You know, whatever. Do something. I, I don't know what to do. You know, I don't even I don't even know what to say. All right. And I think that's what it is. There's no indication in Romans 826. That's a private prayer language. And then they say, well, you got the first Corinthians 13 where it says, Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and do not have faith or love, I'm a sounding brass or a clanging gong. Therefore, implied in that is there's this angel talk that I can speak. Well, that's not the contrast Paul is making, is it? No. What contrast is Paul's making? Paul's making if you're the most erudite speaker on earth, and you're not motivated by love, it's noise. And if you could even speak with the with the language of an angel, the, the booming voice, the intonation, the with the with the intelligence of an angel and you don't love. It's noise. It's like a lawyer would say it's not worth the paper and yeah. it's not worth anything. All right. That's that's the point that Paul is making. There is no indication anywhere in the scripture that there is 
a, a, a prayer language that we pray in. And the second thing of that, just think about this a minute. Someone says, well, I went home last night and I pray in tongues. I said, what you pray about? Well, I, I don't know. I just prayed in tongues. I don't know what I said. Is that helpful? No. You don't know what you're praying about in tongues? Yeah, you don't know what you're praying about. You have no idea what it is. And, and that sort of flies in the in the face. Yeah. That 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 um that sort of goes along with the First Corinthians fourteen, where Paul says, "I'd rather speak five words that somebody can understand than ten thousand that they don't." And if there's anything in the Bible, if you if you understand anything about prayer, anything about prayer, prayer is to be done with your brain engaged. God wants you to, to, to pay attention to what you're saying. Because if not, what are you doing? You know better than the Pharisees back in Matthew 6. What are they? For their vain repetitions. You know, and they had the prayers that they would rattle off. It's like the, the rosary, you know. All have him and mother. Bead one. Bead two. You know, and you think that God's up there, you know, really happy that you're doing that. that that's, that's nothing better than... than, than Pray in the rosary, or now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to sleep. Blah, blah, blah. You know, we don't even, God, God says when you pray, think. Use your head. Know it is what you're talking. You're not just talking, you're talking to God. Think about it. What are, what are you saying to him? Because that's the only way that it makes any sense. If you're just rattling gook to him, there's no benefit at all. To, you have no idea. What it is you're even praying, it's nonsense. There, there, there's nothing in the New Testament that would indicate that there is such a thing as a private prayer language. It, it's just not there. When Paul prayed, how did he pray? In a language that people understood. When he prayed for the Ephesians and he prayed for the Philippians and the Colossian believers, he wasn't saying, you know, I went, I had, you know, 40 minutes of prayer talk to you. No, he prayed specifically for people, specific things, knowing what it is that he is saying, what he's talking about. Because that's the only way that it makes any sense. That there's no such there's no evidence that there's this prayer language. Alright, that's the white spaces between the verses where you get that. It there's nothing in the scriptures that would indicate that. Because it, it and again, even if there was it how do you know what it, what you're saying? You, you don't. And, and all Romans 8.26 is saying is that the Spirit knows what we really need. And he, even when, when we run out of words and when we don't know what we need, the Holy Spirit does know. And he, 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 it's an inter-Trinitarian communication that, 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 that is only between the three members of the Trinity. That, that, that he, he takes our burdens and, and bring Christ intercedes for us too, right? Yes. So when it talks here in, in 2.4, language, it is a known, speakable, understandable, translatable language. All right? Before you move on. That scripture, but I'm picturing, just to better understand the scripture, in, in simple words, you have a Chinese apostle who's speaking English, an English apostle who's speaking uh, French, and a French apostle who's speaking German. Whatever. Or whatever. But they're speaking ten languages at one time, and when the multitude appears, they can understand. Yeah, because the language. yeah, because you've got you've got 
You've got 12 guys here. See, I understand what's happening. What's happening in Jerusalem on Pentecost? You've got people from all over the Roman Empire. All right. And um, there's a lot of foreign people there. There was a lot of people that knew just enough Hebrew to be able to, you know, order something from the menu down at the diner. That's about the extent. That's about the extent of my German. I know the difference between beef and pork. You know that kind of thing. You know. Yeah, Schweinsteak. And that's probably not even pronounced correctly. You know. But um. You know, they didn't know didn't know that. So how is the message? of what's happening at Pentecost, the message of the resurrection of Christ, the crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, how's that going to be, be disseminated to all of these people from all over the Roman Empire? It's got to be in their own language. So on this occasion, what did God do? God gave the apostles the supernatural ability to speak a previously unknown language to a group of people so they could understand it in their own tongue. And that was a sign. That's the other part of this. That was a sign not only to them that something's going on here that, you know, something going on here that doesn't make sense unless God's in this thing, you know. Because these guys here, you know, they're, they're not unlearned people. And how is it that they all of a sudden know all of these languages? There's something, there's something going on here that makes them want to listen. And the second thing, it was a sign of judgment to Israel. Yeah. It's like they're all a bunch of hillbillies. How do they know Chinese? You know, they're from West Virginia. I got to pick on West Virginia. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that the apostles or they were the, the people there were all speaking different languages because what matters is the people that listen to them. Heard, heard. They heard it in their own language. They Yeah, and, and but I think the indication is that they did speak that language. It was a it was a it was a speakable language. That then the it's not like they all spoke Hebrew and they just heard it like the Universal yeah, Translator yeah, on yeah, Star Trek. Yeah, and they list a bunch of them there, you know. But do they hear? Okay, but do they hear? There's ten. There's there's people speaking. You hear ten languages at one time. Are they sorting through that and hearing their language? No. One one apostle. One guy speaking Parthian. One guy speaking Medo. One guy speaking Farsi. One guy speaking Latin. Another guy speaking Greek. So you know their language. Their language. Okay, so they're gonna focus in on the apostles speaking their language. Right. Yeah, their language. Probably all 120 were in on this. There's no indication it was just the 12. But but the, the point is that that God wanted to get the message out. He did it with a supernatural sign that would make them want to stop and think about, wait a minute, something's going on here, you know. There, there, there's something odd about what is being said, which would lend credence to what? The message, right? Absolutely. If some guy comes in your church, say, I have a message from God. Well, how do I know? And he raises somebody from the dead. That's pretty impressive. You're apt to probably listen to him, right? Yeah. And that's what's going on here. Okay? It was a known language. I want to ask a question before you move on. If it's on the same order. Your minister has the vision for the church. It, it depends on. Well, 
and the congregation isn't receptive to it, wouldn't the Lord prepare somebody with influence in the congregation? Wouldn't somebody else in the congregation know about this? Yeah, one, one of the things, we're never going to get through chapter two. One of the things is that when you, when somebody when when a pastor stands up and Pastor Jim Menlang stands, you know he has a vision for the church. Okay. What does it mean that he has a vision? Right. Okay. God has called him to be the senior pastor of this church, and as such, God has placed on his heart a burden for, you know, a direction that we go, a, a certain direction that we go. Right. So now, what does Jim do? Say. Everybody come this way and just follow me. And we're all like little rubber ducks just, you know, following along. No, what does he do? He he inspires us in his vision. And if his vision is from God, what does the Holy Spirit do? It will incline the church to go along with that vision. All right. Well, you know, and, and that's what the Spirit does is as we pray together. And that's what they did, right? In one accord, praying together. When we pray together, when we you know, work together, then God will lead us. But God gives us a vision. If you mean by vision, some weird thing. No, that's not. Yeah, or, or somebody says, well, I'm the pastor. You follow me whether you like it or not. That That's lording over the flock. Spiritual leadership is not, spiritual leadership is not pushing people along. Spiritual leadership is servant leadership. All right, it's humility. It's not lording it over the flock. You know. And and it's supposed to be judged in light of scripture. If the pastor says, Well, I have a vision, and you say, Well, you know, that, that really flies in the face of you know this passage of scripture, where's that vision coming from? Well, it's not those Holy Spirit. Watch out if you want to drink Kool-Aid. Yeah, don't drink Kool-Aid. You know. Um and, and, and the, the, the bottom line point here is that is that there is a tension in our spiritual life between that which is is mystical. And what I mean by mystical is that which is which is non tangible. You know, God gives us a burden. He gives us an impression. He gives us a, a a vision in a sense of a strong desire to do a certain thing. And then there is the 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 cognitive, the word of God, the scripture. And both of those need to be in concert for it to be God's will. If you have a vision that contradicts Scripture, you've got a problem. But if you mechanically try to apply Scripture with, while ignoring the spiritual dimension, that's just as bad. And there's a tension between both of them. Does God lead me by his spirit? Yeah. Well, you know, let me sound heretical in that. Let's say you make a thousand decisions a day, a thousand choices between what you wear, what you eat for breakfast, you know, all of that stuff. How many of those are led by the Spirit of God? Yeah. You know, I'm out of the will of God today because I wore a pink shirt instead of a white one. You know, that's, you know, that's silly, right? Okay. Yeah. And here's an, here's another question. Even when it comes, when you sit down and, and you, you, you pay for your lunch or whatever, and a lady gives you back 
$5 more and change than she should, and you give that back to her, are you being led by the Spirit necessarily? Maybe, maybe not. Why? Why is that? Because here's the question. How does the Holy Spirit lead you? That's the only way he leads you? No. How else does the Holy Spirit lead you? By promptings? That could certainly, that's certainly, the Holy Spirit can certainly lead that way. But, 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 you know, some people have this idea that, you know, the Holy Spirit is constantly every day, turn left, turn right. No, you don't want, you don't want pork chops for, you want, you want a steak tonight. No, you're out of my will. You know, don't have corn. You want peas. You know, that kind of, that's silly. All right. The, the point is God, God leads us. God certainly leads us. But most of his leading is done by making good choices. Right. And here, here's the thing. Most of God, the, the, the primary way God leads us is through his word. I don't need the Holy Spirit to prompt me. Give that lady the five bucks back. I don't need that. Why? Because what does the word of God tell me? God reveals his will multiple ways. And most of the time, I would say the vast bulk of God's leading in our lives is through the word of God. The vast bulk of it. Now, are there times when you get an impression or you get a burden or something like that? Sure there are. Don't ignore those. But most of God's leading is through this. When somebody says, I'm seeking the Lord's will, whether he wants me to stay married or get a divorce. That's stupid. Because what does the word of God tell you? No divorce. No divorce. There, there are escape clauses, but, but the bottom line is, what's God's right. primary? Yeah. Right. And that's why you need to be in the word of God, because we are as many as are led by the spirit of God. They are the sons of God. Then there's one where it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Another passage let the spirit of God dwell in you richly. And what, how do you let the how's the spirit of God dwell in you richly? By having the word dwell in you richly, because what's he going to use to convict you? The word of God. Most of the leading is through this. Can God lead you mystically? Can God give you promptings? Sure he can. But most of his leading is not done that way. Most of it is not. And, and our problem is, and I, you know, I knew a friend of mine, walking illustration. Um, and, and, you know, he was always talking about, you know, well, God led me to do this. God led me to do that. God, and I'm looking at him and say, God led you nowhere near that. That's your own stupid choice. God had, don't blame that one on God. Um, he, he told me one time, you know, I, I, I got evicted from the trailer park. How do you get evicted from a trailer park? Well, you know, I, 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 my lot was so messy and it was just filthy. They finally got tired. Of, but it was God's will that I got, I had to leave. I said, don't blame that one on God. That was your own lazy bum hind end that didn't 
clean the place. Don't blame it for us, God. And then, you know, a few years later, he came in. Well, I got fired today. You know, what do you mean got fired? Yeah, you know, competence. I wasn't doing my job. You know, but it was God's will. And it's like, don't blame God for that one now either, you know. And and the whole thing is, is in his own life, he was so mysticizing God's will that he wasn't doing what the Bible said. If you're not doing what the scripture says, don't worry about the stuff that it doesn't talk about. You got to do what this says, because this is how God leads you for the most part. How do I know what God wants me to do? The Holy Spirit is do this. It's in his word. Has anybody audibly had the spirit talk to them? I hope not, because Seth could use the business. No, certainly he's prompted all of us, but you know God has not visibly showed up to any of us and told us what to do. It's here. We got it. Our problem is we don't do this. You've got people saying, "I don't know who I should marry," but they're living there in a sin. Well, before God's going to tell you who to marry, what has He already told you to do? If you're not doing what he's already told you to do, why is he going to tell you that? It's here. See, we go on these rabbit trails. But we got to get through chapter two tonight. But the, but the point here is that this language, and, and you read, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but this language, the, 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 the tongues here were known understandable, speakable, interpretable languages that these people could hear. And what were they saying? They were talking about the mighty works of God. Verse 11, the wonderful works of God. They were giving them the good news of who Jesus was and what was going on. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying, whatever could this mean? The, the sound of the wind drew the people together. When they came together, here comes these 120 busting out of this upper room, speaking these languages that everybody could hear in their own tongue and understand. They're speaking the mighty works of God. All right. And others, mocking, said they're full of new wine. They're drunk, which really explains the, fa the ability to speak in another language. You know. Um, and that's silly because it was early in the day. In those days, you had to drink a long time to get drunk. Um, the alcoholic beverages were not like what you have today. Um, you had to work at it to get drunk. It usually took you all day long, eight all day to get drunk because uh, the wine was one or two percent alcohol. You'd have to drink quite a bit to get any anywhere with that. But what happened? Well, here you have Peter Cern. Peter standing up with the eleven. Including Matthias, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's still morning. There's no way we could be drunk unless we stayed up all night drinking, which we haven't. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So come to pass in the last day, says God that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. What's prophesy? Speak the word of God. Speak the word of God. It has nothing to do with prediction. 
99.9% of the time, Isaiah said nothing predictable. He said everything that was already revealed. He preached. He was a preacher. And I'll show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Stop right there. It's prophesying. That's a big thing nowadays. Yeah. Because the heavens, they even call themselves prophecies now. Yeah. The, the, the point is this. 99% of the words spoken by the prophets mm -hmm. in the Bible were non-predictive in nature. Was non-predictive. Non because God was going to do this anyway. They were just warning the people. They were preaching sermons. Yeah, okay. Most of what Isaiah did was preach. Mm -hmm. God had already revealed a tremendous amount of information. Mm -hmm. When Isaiah stands up and says, if you don't repent, God will judge you, is he predicting anything? No. Now, when he made a specific prediction about a young woman shall conceive and bear a child, and now now you're getting into the predictive component, mm -hmm. and certainly there was that. But by and large, most of what the Old Testament prophets did were nothing more than proclaim what was already revealed and known about God. Much like what your pastor does on a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. So, so there isn't any new prophecies. Not today. Today. No. So they call themselves that? They, just, it's just a they can call themselves anything they want. That doesn't make it right. Right, it's glamorized. It's glamorized. Right. Like well, if you had a prop on a Sunday morning to share the scripture, you said, I have the scripture to share. You shared it from the, from the pulpit or your pastor gave you permission to share a song. You're sharing the word of God. It's the... You're not prophesying. But people glamorize that. They, they, they glamorize the whole, this person shared the word. Like someone had a Bible thing. Hey, I think this could be a Bible today for our Bible study. Lord Michelle, read the book of blah, blah, blah. And that person shared that. It's a word given to encourage and exhort and build us up. But it's all based on this. But what the world does is they glamorize everything. Mm -hmm. They want to make it like, you know, this person's up here because they had a prophetic word. Yeah. And like he said, and, and I think every Sunday there's prophetic words given. Our pastors bring prophetic words. What, why are they prophetic? They're now words. And they're delivered to the church. And it means to speak before. Mm -hmm. And God has revealed. God has said certain things will happen if certain things are done. That's not prophesying. I'm not coming up with new revelation. But See? what they're saying is, is um, that the Lord tell them to tell you something uh, that you're going to get a new house or, or you know? Not, not, oh, I want, let's talk about that. We're never going to get through this, all right? But 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 let's talk. Let's, let's hit this. I was at a meeting. Someone tried to prophesy to me, and I told him stop because I don't see it. Oh, did you? Yeah. Because oh, I'm of the personality. I'm the if you're going to prophesy a word to me, if I'm in a meeting, I'm going to, first of all, I have enough sense to judge it. Second of all, do they have enough sense that if they're going to prophesy something to me, and if it's not true, do you get to shoot them? Judged by the <laughs> do you get to stone them? Yeah. Now that's scary, and I yeah. think the church needs to know that. But, 
if the people are, you know, free gun and property. That's what they're doing. Here's one, here's one of the difficult, I, and this, is, this has truly happened. No matter who it is. No Joe McCartney, who is the founder of Promise Keepers, mm -hmm. all right, attends the Boulder Vineyard. His pastor is J.C. Ryle, who is the pastor of the Boulder Vineyard. J.C. Ryle had a vision one day, and he told McCartney they had a vision of the Colorado football team with a pair of horns that were going to beat their opponent. God gave him a vision that he was going to win a football game. Upshot. Now, I want stop and think about this. Here's God, who's the ruler of the universe. He's trying to keep the Arabs from blowing up the Middle East. All right. He's trying to keep everybody... Is he going to send his Holy Spirit to give somebody a prophecy about who's going to win a freaking football game? No. no. That's not what he's about. You think God cares who wins football games? And he's going to, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. You know, can you imagine the, Elijah coming into town, you know, saying, well, you know, the Bethlehem Bulldogs are going to roll, you know, the Jericho you know, Jaguars tomorrow. You know, it's, come on. These prophets that I see. That's going around in the area. If God was going to pick a prophet, he's got some pretty sorry examples today, right. doesn't he? That's what's happening. Really, well, that is truly happening. I wouldn't put that past God. No, I, what I am saying is this. If God is if God is gonna work mightily through if God is gonna work mightily through someone, he's gonna lose a holy person. Elijah was a holy person, Elisha was a holy person, Isaiah was a holy person, Ezekiel was a holy person. He's not gonna pick up a serial adulterer and make a prophet out of him. Because if they Folks, it's, it's using your head. God gave you a brain. Think about this. Is the Holy Spirit going to spend precious time giving people prophecies on who's going to win football games or win lotteries or any of that silly, or who's going to get a parking spot or some? That's silly. That is stupid. That is, that is ignorant. That's not what God is about. Look at the word of God. Do you have anything in the, in the, this is God's prophecy. Is there anything in there about who's going to win football games or whatever they won back then or anything? No. If God's spirit is going to speak, it's going to be on eternal, eternally significant things. And God's Holy Spirit is not silly. You know, they have this, uh, this uh, Toronto blessing where everybody rolls around the floor. They're slain in the spirit. And they roll around the floor laughing hysterically. The holy laughter. Yeah, the holy laughter, you know, and they're just rolling around the floor laughing uncontrollably. And it's the, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Is God serious or flippant? He's very serious. If the Holy Spirit is going to move, is he going to have you rolling around on the floor uncontrollably in laughter or barking like a dog or growling like a lion? That's the Brownsville revival. They got the holy bark now, the holy growl, everything else. And, and people lose control of themselves and they, they act like animals. And they, it, that's, not, that's not the Holy Spirit, folks. That's not what God is all about. In fact, if you read in the Bible, who are the ones that were thrown around on the ground and frothing at the mouth and barking and growling like animals? The demon-possessed people. And people, have, they, they, they've they I'm hard on this, you know, because it's irritating when you see the, the, the sheer stupidity of the average Christian who, who just, because somebody says, well, I have a vision, they just, 
whatever you say. And, 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 and when you say, well, I'm not sure, don't touch the Lord's anointing. God's going to strike you dead or, or, you know, that kind of, you know, and it's like, it's like, who are you? I, I would, I would, I would shake the dust off my feet and go the other way from somebody like that. I wouldn't even expose myself to it. But, it, but then it's a scary thing because this church has a lot of people in their life. Whether it's prophet this and it's prophet is. And First of all, you got a problem with prophetesses. Because yeah. the only prophetesses in the Bible are, there's five of them in all of church, in all of biblical history. And, and two of them were false prophetesses. You know, and, and Miriam's prophesied on one occasion. She yes. said something. Deborah prophesied on one occasion. There is no continuing office of a prophetess. But I'm They're not the, there. The people there. It, it's a scary thing. And, and the difficulty is it's, it's the Matthew 7 crowd. Lord, Lord, did we not? I don't know who you are. I love, we're going to read about the seven sons of Sceva coming up, you know. Well, they're, they're the itinerant, you know, exorcists. And they, they, they make their living casting demons out and they're got a one tough case. They say, well, you know, this Paul guy here does this, does this, you know, in the name of Jesus, you know. So they try to pull that little magic trick, like abracadabra kazam or whatever. And the demon beat them up, tore their clothes off and threw them out of the house naked. Well, we know who Paul is. We know who Jesus is. I have no idea what you guys are. And they beat the snot out of him and they ran out of the house. You know, um, we have we have difficulty in the church today because people are not biblically literate. I was going to say that they, they know like one or two pages in the yeah. Bible, and that's it. And you ask, they don't bother checking. And there's there some there's some people. MacArthur, John MacArthur, was talking to one lady who is a pastor, which is a problem right there. But this lady was a pastor, and he asked her, "Well, where do you get your messages?" She says. You know, says, well, I get him down from the spirit. He just tells me what to say. Well, what kind of silliness is that? How do you know it's from the spirit? How do you know God's talking? You know how I know God's talking to me? Because it compares with this. And how dare I come in here and tell you something that's not in here? It's just that I pull out of the air. What do you mean he's pulled out of the air? Well, I'm a prophet. I could say anything I want. Well... 1 Corinthians 14, that's prophets are subject to who? The other prophets. And then what do you do about that charismatic convention that happened a few years back where one guy got up on one night, had a vision that God gave him concerning something. The next night, somebody else got up, had another vision, and they contradicted each other. Who was right? It's silliness, folks. It's silliness. You know, it's, it's God. God is serious. And God has revealed to us his word. He has done it here. Now, what we need the Holy Spirit for is to illuminate this so we can understand it. All right. So we can apply it correctly. But the, what God wants us to know is here. He didn't leave pieces out. All right. And God is not in the, in the business of silly, like you, like you were talking, silly prophecies. Uh, God told me to come and tell you that uh, if you play this number on the lottery, you'll win. That's silliness. That's that's stupidity. That you know, it's like what? Yeah, it, it's it, it's 
Or a hundred fold return, or thirty fold return, or sixty fold. You give a hundred dollars, you can get a hundred fold return. Yeah. Everyone would do that. Everyone would get a hundred fold return. Where's the hundred fold return? What I want to do is I want to ask those guys to send me a hundred dollars, and God will give them a thousand in return. Well, it doesn't work that way, you know. But the point is, you've got you've got a world of charlatans out there who are making merchandise of the gospel. Some of them are deceived. Others are known deceivers. They know what they're doing. They're, they, 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 they're making merchandise. Second Peter, he calls them filth spots. You know what a filth spot is? It's a medical term. It's used to refer to the pus that oozes out of a, a wound and stains, a, stains something. He calls them hidden reefs. You know, you, you're driving along in a nice new boat and all of a sudden rip out comes the bottom because you hit a reef and you didn't see it on the water. He he calls them, you know, wandering clouds. You look on the rise, you see a cloud, oh, it's going to rain I'm, and it just puffs and blows over. It doesn't do anything. There's full of, there's the spiritual deception out there. God is not into silliness. He's not into su superfluous stuff. When God gives a prophecy, it is something serious. All right. It's not who's going to win a football game or, or, or anything like that. And God doesn't God giving this guy a word of wisdom and that guy a word of wisdom. So how do you validate that? How do I validate if you come up to me and say, God told me, blah, how do I validate what you just said? How do I know that was God talking to you? Right. And why can't he talk to me? I don't. I can't validate it. The Holy Spirit indwells me. Why did he tell me? Yeah. Why do you have to? The Lord told me to tell you X, Y, and Z. No, well, why didn't he come to me? I'm 385 million years He can come to, yeah. God's not, that's not the way God operates. But now, on the other hand, if I know about you, you're my friend, I care about you, and I say, well, let's pray about something. Yeah. Or, no, or or you and Brenda are good good yeah, friends, yeah. and you, you see Brenda heading in a direction she shouldn't head, uh -huh. and you, you you care about her, and you go and you say, you know, Brenda, you know, the Lord just really impressed on my heart uh, a burden because I yeah, care about you, um, and, you know, and the Word of God says blah 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 blah. It's yeah, not like the, well, the Holy yeah. Spirit showed up in a mirror and yeah. told me to come and tell you. That's not what you mean by that. Right. It's that you care about her, you have a relationship, yeah. you're taking, and that's what we do in the body, right? Right. It's an application of the word, but it's not like God visibly or audibly tells you to go tell her that. But this is how yeah. people present them. That's that's and then the way they do that because it makes them sound like what? Dummy to me. Makes them sound like they're in, right? They're in with God. If it goes on our pride, it's it's an issue of pride and arrogance. Well, God talks to me. Doesn't he talk to you? You know, it's, a, it's an issue of pride. It's an issue of arrogance. You know, and the Holy Spirit is not silly. When the Holy Spirit gave these people languages, he did it for a purpose and a reason. They weren't they Now, if they would have started the holy laughter, or the holy bark here, what would have happened? They would have called in the sons of Sceva to take care of this. That's not that's not the way God operates. God, God operates cognitively. God God operates on the mind. There is an emotional component to our faith, but most of our faith is founded in cognitive reasoning. 
what did the whole, what did he say in Isaiah? Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Let's think about this. What did Christ say? Before you build a tower, what do you need to do? Sit down and count the cost. Before you come follow me, what do you do? Sit down and count the cost. Think it over. Don't just go on some emotional whim. Now, there certainly is an emotional component to our faith. But the emotion follows the cognitive, not the cognitive, the emotional. And when this person is coming to you and telling them that God told them this and God told them that, ignore them. Ignore them. Because 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 it makes them sound it makes them sound like they're on the end. They're the they're the prophet. They're the religious authority. That God's telling them something He's not telling you, which hopefully means that you will give them a bigger offering than you give your local church. And the, and, and the thing is here, the Bible talks about those who preach godliness as a means of gain. They're a false prophet. I'm telling you right now, they're a false prophet. Don't go there. When Tilton gets up and says, send me some money and I'll, God will give you some money back, that guy is a false prophet. Yeah, he is back. Along with Larry Lee and along with Copeland and along with Hagen and along with uh, Rex Humbard and um, his... Humbard Jr. now, or, or, or there's Oral Roberts, Oral, Oral Roberts Jr. and all. Yeah. Look, folks, run. They do not represent God. Does God want you wealthy down here? Yes. He doesn't care. He wants me to live well. Does he? Yeah. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. <laughs> Did Paul live wealthily? Was Paul high on the hog? It's irrelevant what you have. God, God, listen, I have I have I have wealth beyond measure there. I may not have it here. Right. God doesn't want me to be necessarily drive a Hummer. He doesn't necessarily want now. Now, what God has given me, I should be thankful and enjoy and appreciate. But God, God did not put me down here to become a millionaire. He didn't put me down here to be a Christian millionaire to indulge myself. Because listen, what is the root of sin? The love, love of money. The love of money is the root of all evil. But what is sin? When you boil sin down to its basic denominator, it's pride. But what is what's that founded in? Selfishness. So the so so think about it. Does God want you to be selfish? No. And what do people who want money? What are they? I am not selfish. What's it driven by? Greed. You know, you know, you know that the lottery will go bankrupt tomorrow if people weren't greedy. It's kind of stupid, you know, when you think, you, you know, they they say your chances. You have better chance of being struck by lightning twice yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, than by winning the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> and yet people walk in and they, they can barely make put food on their table and they plop down 10 or 20 bucks for lottery tickets. It makes no sense. What is it? It's greed. What are these guys on TV doing? Greed. Become a Christian, become a millionaire. 
Give me a hundred dollars, God will give you a thousand back. Let me tell you something. If you, when you give your money to the Lord, what does it say in in Matthew chapter five? Don't let your left hand know what the right hand is doing. Don't 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 parade it. And in fact, when you give it to God, you're letting go of that. Whether God gives you anything back is irrelevant. That's not the point. You give it freely to Him. Yeah. I'm getting on my soapbox here. You can see a little bit here. Yeah. God, God, God. Yeah. She's a minister. Well, I think she, she is the prosperity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, no. my, my wealth, my, my wealth is heaven. My treasure is to be in heaven. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. My treasure is to be in heaven, not here. What God has given me here, I can appreciate. I can enjoy. I should be able to go out and have a nice steak dinner and thank God that I'm able to have the appetite to eat it and the yeah, ability to right. and, and appreciate it. Yeah. You know, I, that doesn't mean I indulge all the time, but, but I, God wants me to be able to enjoy that. He's given me bountifully all things, but that's not to drive my life. Right. Mm -hmm. Not until you get that hummer. Yeah. <laughs> you guys smile every time you say that. Well, we're, we're going to pour that. Now, now, the... We have to get through chapter two. I know we're not gonna we're not gonna make it here. All right. But one of the things here in Joel, going back where we got off on this in Joel, he's quoting Joel here. Now, if you understand the book of Joel is the primary reference in Joel referred to Pentecost. This prophecy that he quotes. When's the day of the Lord? Is that past or future? Past future. It's it's both, but the but the, the 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 primary connection here is future. In Joel, it was future. He said the day was come. But is is the is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy Pentecost, or is there yet a fulfillment? I would think it would be wouldn't be Pentecost because well, you the, 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 the numbers, you know. Well, you look, yeah, you look here. The sun didn't go dark here, did it? No. Yeah, the moon didn't give us. No. That didn't come yet, no. right? The great and terrible day of the Lord had not yet come. All right. What it means is that this is one of those prophecies, all right, where you you would have. You know, you might want to call it double fulfillment. Um, the, the idea there is that the real, full, complete meaning of this prophecy and applications prophecy is yet future. But there are elements of that future prophecy that are seen as being fulfilled, at least in seed form, at this time. What part of the prophecy was seen being fulfilled in seed form at this time? Yeah, the pouring out of the Spirit. God's pouring out His Spirit. Now, when is God going to really pour out His Spirit on Israel? Yeah, at the end times, before the millennium. That's when God's really going to pour out His Spirit. But, but what you see happening here and what Peter's referring to is that that future fulfillment 
is seen in German form, or in, this is this is like what's going to really happen. This is what Joel was speaking about when the Spirit is being poured out. Now, there's a future part of that yet to come, but at least you see an idea of what it's going to be like here as the Spirit is poured out. So he was prophesying. Joel was. Yes. Do you think there's okay. a break like that on purpose? It seems like like there's two parts of it. The, the, I was wondering about, like, yeah. Going well, it, it's sort of like remember the prophecy of the, of um, of the Antichrist in um, the Old Testament in the Book of Daniel. We're talking about the Antichrist, and yet we have this character called Antiochus Epiphanes, who is a who is a type of Antichrist. All right. That's sort of what you see here. Um, the, the full, when Joel was writing his prophecy, his mind, his understanding, without the New Testament, is that's millennium. Right? That's pre-millennium. Because you have the, uh, the dreadful coming of the day of the Lord when God's going to judge his people, followed by what? The kingdom. Mm -hmm. And what's going to happen in the kingdom? What's the millennium going to be like? God's spirit is going to be poured out on all flesh. All right. I mean, if you talk about the spirit, I mean, he's going to be here, you know. So that's the full and final completion or meaning. It's the beginning of the last days in the sense that there is a. The last days began with the first advent. It's going to finally complete at the second advent. That's technically the last days, although it's a long period of time. But then there's the last days, which are the last of the last days. Yeah. Um, and, and the way I think to understand this is Peter is not saying the entire prophecy was fulfilled at that time. But the spirit of the, entire, of the prophecy was in the sense that the spirit was poured out upon all flesh. And what's going to happen in the millennium? Well, the spirit is going to be poured out on all flesh. See, if you say this is the final, full, complete um, fulfillment of that, like the covenantalists would do, then there is no future for Israel. I mean, the, the millennium's gone. Joel was actually thinking of this time. But that doesn't make any sense because parts of this have not yet been fulfilled. You know, the, 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 the sky turned to dark, the moon turned to blood. You know, that, that's, that's not yet there. And there are a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament that that you have you have a prophecy where it's 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 really talking about this, but there's sort of like a a um, test. I don't want to even call it a test fulfillment. It's almost like a partial fulfillment. You see it a lot with the Antichrist. Here's the Antichrist in the end time, but in the meantime, we have this Antiochus Epiphanes guy that gives us a good understanding of what the final one's going to be like. All right. And you have that 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 duality to some of the prophecies in the Old Testament. I think this is one where you have a duality there. And and then Peter gives his his sermon. I'm not going to go through the sermon. You can read that. Um, but basically, what he does is he gives the gospel presentation. He tells the men of Israel, "You crucified your Messiah." And he quotes the Old Testament here. He's quoting verses and passages out of the Old Testament. I, I don't have time to go through them all. You can read the, the, the commentary with MacArthur. It'll help you because i got to get through two tonight. We're doomed. Um, but, but the point is, 
Peter is, is making a... Now, this is not everything Peter t said. This is probably an encapsulation, probably a condensation of the entire message. Most of them are, right? You think Christ's Sermon on the Mount just is what we have recorded? Probably not. He probably said more things, but the gist of what Christ said, we see there in the Sermon on the Mount. All right? So Peter probably, his sermon might have been longer than just these verses, but this is the condensed version of it that gives us an understanding of what he's saying. And the last time somebody accused him of being with Christ, he cussed. Now he's standing up telling 5,000 Jews, you guys killed your Messiah. You crucified your king. He, he, he got a spine. He grew a spine. And that spine is the Holy Spirit who gave him the power to do this. And, and, and he, and, and what happens, verse 37, when he heard this, they were cut to the heart. Why were they cut to the heart? Who was doing the cutting? Conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, now understand this. This, this is something to think about. Before they were cut to the heart, what did they have to hear? The message. God always... A person is not just walking down the street and they're saved. It's always in response to hearing the word of God. That's the mechanism which God uses. All right. These people had to hear the message of the gospel and, and they were cut to the heart. What do we do? And Peter said, repent. What does it mean to repent? To change your mind about. To turn and go the other way. Now, these Jews had considered Christ to be what? Prior to this, what did they think of Christ? He was a criminal. He should have died. He's the usurper. He, that guy, he, had the, he had the guts to say he was God. What did they have to do? He had to change their mind and say he was right. We were wrong. They had to acknowledge for who he was. And Peter says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, immediately people say, see, this says you have to be baptized in order to be saved. That's not what this is saying. And how do you know that? Well, the rest of Scripture speaks against that. What he's saying, repent. And as a subsequent action of repentance, what are you to be? Baptized. When you're baptized, what are you ascending to publicly? Identification with the message. You're making a public proclamation of identification with that. And if you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children, to all who are far off. Who's the far off ones? Gentiles. They're the far off ones. And as many as the Lord our God will call. Ooh, there's the election piece. You know, you just can't get away from that. There's the general call, right? Whosoever will. But there was a day when the whosoever will, in your case, became you. That's the effectual call. And these people are, are saved. And what happens? They were added daily, just such as should be saved. The church grew. Why is it in, in the Baptist church that they say you can be too young 
They shouldn't. Why not? Some people, the question is, do you understand the gospel? You could take a six-year-old, you know, and if, if that six-year-old understands... I wouldn't discourage if that six-year-old understands the gospel and understands who Jesus is. Who are you to say God can't save them at that age? Now, you need to make sure that they understand, of course, what what it is. But, yeah, they can be saved. Um, sorry we didn't get to cover in all the great detail. What we will sp We're only one week behind. Don't worry. So... We got at least through chapter two here. I would really encourage you, you see what's happening in class. We're getting off on a few rabbit trails. You really need to read the book to, to fill in the, the, the little things that we don't hit here. You know, so, huh? Yeah. Well, read the book of Acts three times, but read your commentary or whatever, your book there. So. All right, well, let's close in prayer. Father, thanks for this time and for being here and opening our hearts and giving us this to understand. Pray that we would learn it. And thank you for your provision in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.